This is an ABC podcast. This is the problem. Take a pair of scales of the old-fashioned into one pair. G'day, it's Dr Carl here. Now, Australia has experienced cataclysmic bushfires during our 2019-2020 summer. And yes, fire has long been a part of our landscape, but what's behind these unprecedented fires? It is a complicated story. So let's start with a few basics about bushfires. First, they come in different varieties. Second, at any time during the year, it is fire season somewhere in Australia. And third, bushfires are made worse by global warming. Now, in Australia, we classify bushfires into two main types, mostly related to the landscape. The first type of bushfire happens on flattish, open grasslands. Thanks to the winds, these fires can move quickly. So these bushfires typically burn their way past you in some 5 to 10 seconds. Afterwards, the ground might smoulder slowly for a few minutes. It's fairly easy for firefighters to get access to these flattish, open grasslands. So these bushfires are usually easy to map and fight. They're generally of low to medium intensity. The second type of bushfire happens on hilly countryside, and it's much more challenging. These fires tend to burn slowly, taking between two and five minutes to burn their way past. However, if the fire is raging through the upper canopy of the trees, it can move very quickly. And of course, if the fire burns uphill on the mountainside, it dries the vegetation ahead of it, and so again, the bushfire can speed up. These fires usually happen in forested areas, which tend to have more dead vegetation to burn as fuel. So these hilly bushfires are more intense than open grassland fires. They're also hard to get access to, and so harder to fight. So that's the two major types of Australian bushfires, but what about the Australian fire season lasting for the whole year? Well, that makes sense when you realise that Australia is huge. It reaches from high up in the tropics to way down to the gales of the roaring 40s. And the weather up north is really different from the weather down south. So if you think about the six months from November to April, in the southern parts of Australia, this time of year is usually hot and dry. But in the tropics, this is the wet season. So there are relatively few bushfires. Instead, most bushfires in the tropics happen between April and October, the dry season. Moving southward, the fire season in central Australia is usually in spring and summer. And in the southern part of Australia, most bushfires do happen between December and February, but they can extend past these summer months into autumn. So you can see why it's always fire season somewhere in Australia. Now, season aside, the likelihood of bushfire is related to four major triggers, and these control where and when a bushfire will happen. The first trigger is ignition. The vast majority of bushfires are set off by natural causes such as lightning, but human arson and human negligence do play a part. The second trigger is how much fuel is available to be burnt. 
Obviously, there are different amounts of fuel available in grasslands versus forests. The presence of natural breaks in the countryside, such as a river or bare sandy soil, also affects the availability of fuel. Now, the third factor involved in setting off a bushfire is the dryness of the fuel. Now, this is often related to the previous rainfall. So, both forested and grassy areas need fairly lengthy periods of drought, so that the vegetation can dry out enough to actually burn. In the case of the cataclysmic Australian bushfires of 2019-2020, the three previous years had the lowest winter rainfalls ever on record. So the scene for fire was well and truly set. The fourth and final trigger is the presence of weather conditions that are suitable for fire to spread, usually hot, dry and windy. Now, global warming has ramped up these four triggers, so it's obviously implicated in the massive Australian bushfires. But there are other factors as well. Notably, how Europeans have changed the landscape. Europeans came to Western Australia in 1827. They were rightfully impressed with the enormous forests of huge trees, some of the tallest trees on Earth. The British Royal Navy needed timber to build warships. In 1836, 10,000 tonnes of top-quality Swan River mahogany, also called Jarrah, were sent back to Mother England. But that was just the beginning. By 1918, 50,000 square kilometres of Jarrah forest had been raised and an enormous 17 million tonnes of timber taken. And for the first time, vast, intense fires, far more devastating than had ever been seen before, began to sweep through the seemingly infinite forests. Something had changed. That something was the management of the land and the forests. Back in 1836, the great evolutionist Charles Darwin visited the forests of Western Australia during his six-year voyage on the ship The Beagle. One of his colleagues on the ship wrote, and I quote, We met a party of natives engaged in burning bush, which they do in sections every year. The dexterity with which they manage so proverbially dangerous an agent as fire is indeed astonishing. Those to whom this duty is especially trusted, and who guide or stop the running flame, are armed with large green boughs, with which, if it moves in the wrong direction, they beat it out. Unquote. The indigenous people knew how to manage fire. But in 1847, the bushfires ordinances proclaimed that, and I quote, Aborigines and miners, unquote, could be flogged for lighting fires. However, the European landowners could light fires wherever and whenever they liked. In many cases, we have lost the knowledge of where, when and how much forest to burn for long-term sustainability. So, now that we've covered the basics, we'll look into some of the other players driving our bushfires next time. 